Any of you ever had to speak publicly and been very scattered? <laughs> Just a couple of you. All right, well, that's me today, so let's have fun. Glad this is a place for forgiveness and grace. Lord, help me today, amen. Father, we come before you, we love you. We lift up your word, we lift up the teaching of your word, we lift up uh, just the people and the hearts represented in this room. We ask that your spirit would just bless us, that our hearts would be pierced, Lord, that we would continue to be encouraged, Lord, in our walk with you. Where we've become um, complacent, Lord, we ask that you'd quicken our hearts, Lord, where we are having success, Lord, don't let it get to our heads. Father, where we are diligent, Lord, make us more diligent. We ask for ground. We ask for land. We ask that you would give us victory in our lives and our relationships, foremost our relationship with you, that you would tear down every stronghold, Lord, that would cause us to go a different way for our hearts to wander from the God we love, that you draw us close to you, that you'd be our shepherd and lead us by the still waters, by the green pastures, and that you'd restore our souls. Lord, we thirst for you. We long for you. Lord, I pray where there's the lack of that thirst, where there's a lack of that hunger in our lives, Lord, that you would create it. You are the God who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. You can create a hunger and a thirst in us for righteousness. Lord, we pray for the things that have taken our the place of your glory, that have taken the place of your worship. We ask that you would Help us to see them for what they are, uh, substitutes, Lord. And I pray that the enemy's tactics of, of uh, giving us something that's shiny and pretty and temporary would be exposed, that our hearts would be open and just broken again before you, that you would answer our cries, hear our calls, Lord, and we would know that you are with us. So we just pray for this, uh, this time, Lord, of rebuilding the temple, so to speak, Lord. We ask that you would bless it. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we've been going over, uh, hey, guy, over the last uh, <clears throat> couple of weeks, uh, again, in chapter 1, God spoke through the prophet, because the temple, which they had begun to build, was in ruins. They'd been back in the land for 18 years. It was complete. It, the, uh, and the Lord had, had, had provided a tremendous opportunity for them to restore what had been busted through sin and idolatry and all these types of things. If you read through Ezra and you read through these other accounts, the Israelites had gone they had worshipped idols. They had done all these things that were just horrible, and so God said, all right, all right, there you go. I'm going to let you get wiped out. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in, wiped out Jerusalem, leveled the place, and sent them off to exile in, in Babylon and Iraq. And there they were for 70 years, 70 years, generation after generation, and now they're back in the land after 70 years. And when they came back, they were really excited about rebuilding God's temple. 
This is who we are. We've, been in a, we've, we've abandoned the Lord, and we've been out in this wilderness for so long. We want to be focused on you, God. We want to reestablish the center of our lives, the temple, that place where we meet with him. You know, the Israelites met with him, or a place where the sacrifices were offered, places where they worshipped, all this stuff. They wanted to reestablish that. It was their identity as a people. And so they began. They began building it, as we have talked about before. They began the good work. They began laying the foundation, doing these things that were very difficult. And lo and behold, what happens when you start doing what God asks you to do? You get what? Opposition. Turns out, as you're reading there in Ezra uh, 3 and 4 and 5 and all that stuff, that uh, the people of the land, they didn't like that. Hey, who told you to do this? You know, you can't do that. Hey, well, actually, you know what? They started out, they said, hey, can, can we help you out? Can we, can we get in there with you? And it's so funny is that uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people will be working along with you, but they're not really working with you. They're working to undermine you. You ever had experienced that in your life? Well, they were undermined, and they were very discouraged in their hearts. The enemy tried to discourage them from within, Anybody have, uh, you know, as, as you've been trying to reprioritize your, your life the last three weeks, hopefully, uh, that's why I'm hitting it over and over and over again. Anybody been a little bit discouraged in your hearts like Ramey was talking about? How many of you have, the, the enemy doesn't necessarily work on you from the outside. He works on you through your emotions. You are drawn to the left and to the right by how you feel. Anybody? Be aware, the tactic of the enemy is to discourage your soul, to discourage you from continuing in what God has told you to do. Because the hardest thing for people like us is when we don't feel like we don't, it doesn't feel good. We're trying to press into something that's very difficult that God has asked us to do. And we become discouraged in our hearts and depressed. We want to stop, don't we? We just want to stop. It's so much easier to go back to working on my house. I like doing that. How many of you are discouraged in your walk with the Lord today? There's a lot of discouragement in there. You know, you feel the, the boot on you. You know that here's where this is and this is where I am, so to speak, and you've got all these measurements that you're making. The enemy's working in that field of your emotions and your mind. Did the same thing, wanted them to stop. Stop from making the Lord number one in their lives. And he is at work today to go ahead and do the same thing in us. As you pursue that relationship with the Lord, as you pursue to abandon self and to pursue Christ, the enemy will begin to discourage you in your heart. He'll begin to do that. If you're experiencing that today, know that's normal. That's part of the game. That's part of the battle. The battle of the mind. Don't give in. Keep pushing. Keep praying. Keep fighting. Keep going. Don't give up. When that attempt didn't work, as they were building in these first four years since they were back, 
the enemies, it says that uh, they bribed the officials to work against them and frustrated their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of King Darius of Persia. So for, for actually for, for, for the 18, 14 years, or 18 years, so to speak, that whole time, the enemy was using the tactic not only from working with, within, but from without, using people who had ulterior motives to discourage you, as discouragement from the outside. Confrontation. Try, no, you know, anybody you try to, uh, you know, let's just say, okay, you are, you're in California, right? So anybody uh, try to get a permit, a work permit, or a, a, like a, a building permit? You're trying to do something good and positive. You're actually going the right way about it. Why is it so difficult <laughs> to do the right thing sometimes? Not to say, I mean, there's just, there are some bureaucracies and things that happen. But the same thing in the spiritual realm. The enemy can place situations and people in our life to discourage us in our walk in the Lord and are constantly trying to undermine our plans and moving forward. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but the enemy will also use people and situations to frustrate you. The plans that you have the things that you've set out as a family. You know what? We're going to do this. We want to move forward in this in the Lord. We want to reprioritize our life to put Him first. And what do you know? Someone has some great advice for you. Someone has some things that seem good, but they just aren't necessarily, they're not of the Lord. And they pull you away. They frustrate your plans. I've experienced that over and over again. And finally, it got to the place where the people had such an uproar that they started to go to the king. They went to the king. Now, the king who told them to go back in the land, he had, he had since moved, passed away. Now a new king came in, and he didn't know of all of this stuff, or at least he didn't care. And the people came in and said, hey, you know what? These people are building this stuff. They're a bunch of rebels. Every time they build something, something goes wrong. Check it out. And the king said, yeah, we better stop this. And God uses fear, and he uses authorities in this world that will combat you, that will say to you in your face, stop following after Christ. You may not do this. You may not believe this way. You may not worship this way. You may not speak this way. You may not pursue God in this manner. You may pursue God in this manner. And they put parameters on our relationships with the Lord. Any of you experienced that? Yes. Other countries, anybody with any bit of, of, of third world experience knows that this is so. Even and, and it's creeping into our culture to where, what is hate speech? Now, are we a people who ever want to be accused of hateful speech? No, our message is love. But it's also repent, Right? <laughs> And that's offensive to all of us, humanity, because it says that you need to die, I need to die, and we need to be saved. No one wants to hear that. And so the, the powers that be pressing in on you, you know, we have an uphill battle because the culture around us, you know, they'll allow you to follow Christ as long as it's not offensive, as long as it doesn't 
influence their power to do what they want to do. It's okay as long as you, what? Keep it yourself. It's your personal religion. Doesn't that sound cool? It's me, it's mine, it's my own special individualized little package. I'm supposed to keep it to myself. No. You shine that light. You shine it bright. And guess what Jesus says? You will be persecuted. Blessed are those, actually. <laughs> right? It's a promise, one of those wonderful promises. So there's this situation. So these people, they came back in the land. They were just discouraged in their emotions. They had people coming against them. They had the government pushing down on them. And finally, guess what they did? They stopped. They obeyed the government. That's a very hard thing to do. Not, I'm not talking about, I know, believe nonprofit, you know, forget nonprofit. We follow Jesus Christ. We're not talking about insurrection. We're not talking about, you know, revolution and all that stuff. We're talking about we serve a king. And when his law of love, when he tells us to do something and we're told to do something that con contradicts that, we follow Jesus. Romans 13, I love it when people go crazy, but Romans 13 says God's given us government. He's given us police officers. He's given us all these things above us. They're put there by him. Better do the best you can. Live peaceably with them. But there are times in our, in our, in our relationship with the Lord when the enemy's going to push down on you and he's going to use the powers that be to say, stop. And it's at then when we say, no, I'm Christ. Amen? Many of our brothers and sisters in foreign countries are experiencing this right now. We have a luxury. You know, it's a, a tremendous blessing. But the, again, these people had stopped, you know. And, and I don't know about you, but, but wouldn't you stop? You're discouraged in your heart. You got everybody around you telling you what to do. It's just, it's just like going uphill. And how many of you trying to rearrange your lives and put Jesus number one, it's like going uphill. It's just hard. Why can't there just be a break? Why does this happen after this happen after this happen after this? I'm just discouraged. I want to give up. It's so much easier just to focus on the paneling in my house, God. And that's what they did. They let the house of the Lord lie in ruins. They let the house of the Lord lie in ruins. And again, you know, the point wasn't that their house was all nice. It was that their heart for God was in neglect. It was in ruins. You know, it was a priority. The relationship to the Lord, you know, we know it was, it, a right relationship for them was wrapped up in the temple, that place where they met with him. How is your relationship with the Lord this morning? And again, we talked about it last week. You know, if, if that's not number one, we're out of kilter as Christians. If it's not our pursuit, if it's not our desire, if it's not our preoccupation, then I believe we're in sin. He has to be number one. Jesus said some pretty hard things, very hard things. If we're living for anything else except for Christ, not saying that we can't have experience all these other things in life, but if he's not number one, you know, if he's not what you're preoccupied with, if he's not your vision, Beat out my vision. Then, then we're out of kilter. Christ said some very hard things. If any man be my disciple, let him first deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. 
Lord, I want to be your disciple, said the rich man. Go and sell all you own and give it to the poor and follow me. Lord, I want to be your disciple, said the son who loved his father. But first let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. Whoever does not hate father, mother, brother, and sister is not worthy to be my disciple. Why did Jesus say such hurtful things? Why did Jesus say such hurtful things? What was he teaching us? Perspective. Perspective. <laughs> you hit it. Priority. And each of us has the rich man syndrome. Each of us has the I love my father syndrome. Now, is it wrong to have riches? No. Is it wrong to love your father? No, is it wrong to love your brothers and sisters? And so God, he's using these great extremes to draw this contrast so that we get that if he is not our vision, if he is not number one, we are not disciples. That's it. He's pretty black and white on these things. And the cool thing, and this is the part we, we mess up on, that these relationships blossom and benefit and are blessed as we are in number one right relationship with Jesus Christ. As we, fo- as we make him our vision, wisdom comes on how to do that. The love we need flows. The flesh subsides. How many of us need a little bit more of the flesh going away? Galatians 5. If you are what? If you're acting in this manner, if these things reflect your life, you're living in the spirit. You're living in the flesh. But these, this is, this is fallen after God. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, whatever it is. Right? Over and over. How many is that, how many are you are, are identified by those fruits? We got, we got some growing to you, right? <laughs> Miracle grow, right? <laughs> Lord, help us. <laughs> I don't know, fits of rage, you know, dissensions, divisions, uh, let's check an age group, sexual immorality, you know, it's kind of like a, a spirit check, where are we? Boy, are we willing to allow the Lord to speak these hard things into our lives? We're each identified by something. We want to be identified by him. When they look at us, they go, you, you're a Christian. Not, Matt, you're a guitar player. I mean, I might be. But I, the, the one thing I want to be known as is his. That his love flows from my life, you know? That's what I want us to be known for. The love of Christ. And that's what he wants, you know? So God's calling us to an abundant life. An abundant life. He wants to pour it out. Any of you seen a fire hydrant just, just, whoa, you know? Anybody? It's awesome. It just pours and goes crazy. You know, Christine and I, we went up to uh, Spokane recently to see Nikki, and 
those falls were going in Spokane. The falls, the powerful, and you feel the water. Just like, yeah. You know? I love that. And you're sitting there and you sense the, the power of the vibration. If you're just going, whoa, what is this resonance coming from this? Just the power of water. You know, if, if one bucket of that hit me, it would hurt. You know, at that force and that velocity. And, and he's saying, you know, do, I want you to have this abundant life. I, I will, I will, you'll have torrents of living water flowing from you. How many of us are experiencing that today? <laughs> or are we? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm not even sure I'm, that, I'm like that. I think I'm like more like, you know, like more of this drinking fountain syndrome. The one that doesn't work out there, you know? It's more like the drip coming from the bottom where the bucket is. That's me. You know, it's like life's flowing with living water. Or is that still in the book? Yeah. See, the enemy, he's always ready with a substitute. He's always ready for a substitute. He's actively involved in each of our lives to give us a substitute for the cross. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. You don't have to change. And we get ripped off because life becomes, life comes through death, you know? That's how life in the kingdom happens. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, there's no life. You know, we're, we're just, we're, we're like, we're called Christians because we're like little Christ. That's what that word means. It was a mockery term. But that's what it is. Just as he died, we die. Just as he lives, we live. Just as he was raised, we, were ra- we are going to be raised. We're identified fully in him. Those who are Christ will walk as Jesus walked. Oh, you know, oh, I desire this. The cure for this church, the cure for our families and our lives, the cure for us is we need to die. I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It doesn't sound fun, huh? How many ones come to church to be told to die? <laughs> die! But that's the way we find life. Anyone wants to be my disciple, deny himself. Lord, I am yours. What do you want? Not I'm making the decisions for my life. It sounds great for this and this and this. And by the way, God, give me your stamp of blessing. No, God, I surrender to you. Save me, I'm a sinner. Now, Lord, in the same way that you saved me, the same way I I surrendered my life to you by faith, now I live day by day, surrendered. And guess what? He leads, and he promises to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us and in us. It is in us, but he wants it to overflow. You see these disciples in the New Testament, these people just like you and me, They were full of something. They were full of life. 
abundant lives. The enemy always has to substitute. The cure for the church is that we need to die. Die to the paneling in our houses. Die to the worship of the main priority in life being our kids. Die to the addiction of continuous entertainment that leaves us void of life. Dying. That hurts, doesn't it? You get just dying to self. It's so hard. But on the 21st day, the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Chapter 2. He says, Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedach, the high priest and the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing to you? As we choose to follow after Christ, as we choose to rearrange the priorities in our lives and make him number one and say, Lord, I'm committed to rebuilding the temple, so to speak. That relationship between you and me, first of all, is going to be number one. Not talking about all the peripheral things of all the activities we can do as Christians, but just him. Focusing on him again. Getting into his word and just letting it and praying and just just love, just saying, God, help. And just getting him into your life. And he will meet you like you've never been met before. But as you do that, sometimes you get discouraged. You start building. As I mentioned before, some of the children were there some of the people were there who were just children when they got taken into captivity, taken, they'd seen the old temple and they're seeing the new one built the, the, as they started to rework it. And they said, they started to cry. I said, oh man, this thing stinks. This is nothing like God used to do. This is nothing like God, how God used to work in my life. I don't like this. You know, the former days, the former glory. It says when they re, when they got to that place where they dedicated the, the temp they dedicated just the they only got to, remember the four years they just got to the to the foundation and the altar they dedicated it said they couldn't distinguish between the cries of joy from the younger people and the cries of tears from the older people there was just a they couldn't distinguish between the two because they were just lamenting going man is there any hope left. Is this all there is? Is this what's going to happen? We've seen you work so awesome. And the young people are like, yeah, this rocks. You know? You know, totally oblivious to how God's moved in the past, (laughs) what he's done. I find it interesting that some of the uh, younger people are so excited about moving on and seeing what the Lord has next. Anyone? You know? I remember when I was on, on staff at Calvary Chapel and I was uh, one of three younger guys being discipled by three older guys. And we'd often hear about the Jesus movement, how God did some really amazing things during that time. How thousands were coming to Christ and God worked miracles and people were healed and all this stuff. We'd hear about it and we'd hear about it and we're like, man, that is so cool. I'm so happy to be a part of the fruit of people coming to the Lord and, and that's just awesome. You know, but then you heard it over and over and over again. You're kind of like, you know, are you actually kind of sad that we're not actually doing, you know? What are you getting at? You know? 
we're kind of wondering if we're a little bit discouraged there. I imagine some of you have fond memories of how God used to work in this church. You know? Of the things God has done throughout the years. I mean, we've got 100 years or something like that. But I mean, God did some pretty cool things here. It was cool to hear about how many of you have, were involved in youth ministry, were involved in, 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 in serving in various ways, and you know how God was just doing stuff back in the day. The glory days, right? The days where the temple was awesome. I think it's fun to hear about that. Sometimes I feel like the younger group is just going, woohoo, and some of you are going, oh no, you know? <laughs> Comparing what God has done in the past and what is happening now can sometimes be discouraging. Amen? As I hear about what God has done in, you know, in your lives in the past and how on fire you've been, sometimes I get a little discouraged when I see the flame die down. When I hear how involved so many of you were way back then, and now it's like it's someone else's turn. It's never someone else's turn. Yeah, God will raise them up. But God still has ministry for you. He still has called you to be a worshiper. It might be in a different capacity. But how we need to, to, to glean from you, how we need to learn from you. I want to encourage you older folks that have been walking the Lord in a while. You're not done until you're dead. All right? If I see you slacking off, <laughs> i tell you what. And as we seek to reprioritize our lives back on Christ, we begin to make and we begin to make him a priority again. And it isn't as shiny and fun and as pretty as when we were younger in the Lord. Remember when you first came to God? Whoa, this is the awesome thing. Let me read my Bible every day and you know, let me talk about Jesus everywhere. Woo! I was like, what does that say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jesus loves you. It's a bumper sticker now, right? <laughs> Instead of a lifestyle. It's kind of hard work, and to tell you the truth, I've come to, you know, like working on the paneling of my house, haven't you? It's a lot easier, I understand. These people were around three and a half weeks back into working on this, and this was kind of a difficult time for some of them. The realization that, that it's not going to be exactly the way it was. And the Lord sees the discouragement coming back, and we're almost done here. And the questioning, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to put all this effort into rebuilding this? Is it really worth it to reprioritize my life? I'm so darn tired. I'm so, it's so much easier just to do what I've done. But now, verse 4, be strong. Chapter 2. Be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Zodak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covered with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Don't be afraid of what, what might come. Don't worry about all this stuff. Focus on me. I'm with you. I'm in this. 
After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the older generation that had sinned died off, and now that next generation rose up, and they're going to go push into that, that promised land, the land flowing of milk and honey. But there's one problem. What's in the land? Giants. God, giants in the land. It's not supposed to happen. So God speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, my favorite, one of my favorite. I say that about everything, but... After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan and go into the land that I'm about to give them, to the land, I'm sorry, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised to Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As it was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sound familiar? Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to, an, to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the, the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it day and night so that you may prosper in success. The word of God preeminent in their lives, focusing on it, living by it. That's successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When God wants to re, you know, get something through us, he repeats it. How many times do you say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, be courageous. I'm with you. I'm with you. He's with you. He's with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Take some ground. Step out. Amen? Don't let the enemy kick us around anymore. Don't be led by the, the flesh. We've got the spirit of God in us. Kill that stuff. Let's get it out. Let's get it done. Let's live for him and have the power of God flowing in and through us. Continually. God knew that the temptation was to give in to fear and to go back. God knew that Joshua was looking at the fact that we would have to face giants. God knew that he would have many people not liking the decisions that he would have to make to press on. God knows that the pressure to please people is great, especially in our own families, men. You know, it's easy to give in, to make everybody happy. But to do the right thing when God calls you to do it, and it's hard. You're going to get flack. God knows that you're facing similar dilemmas as you choose to obey his voice and say the heck with the desert wandering. So Joshua said, go, go into the land, and they got ready. But the last thing, I know God did great things in the past, and this doesn't look like it's going to work out with all the giants and stuff. But God, I trust you, and I'll be strong in you. I'll be courageous because you said to build. And knowing you, you are with me gives me the strength to do it. In verse 6, in closing, this is what the Lord Almighty said. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations. And what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares Lord Almighty, keep building. Keep building, CCF. 
man, we got to reprioritize our families. That's it. God's calling us to be men of prayer, be men of the Lord. And whatever that looks like, I don't know. I'm not sitting up here saying, these are the five things you need to do. I'm saying he is the one thing we need to be focused on like a laser beam. And he'll tell us what to do. And that's the kind of life I want us to live. Not a, you know, this is what your life should look like. It should look like, Jesus, what do you want it to look like? (laughs) You know? Don't be discouraged. He's going to shake things again. Don't be frustrated. Recognize that the enemy's going to throw everything he has at you. Rebuilding the temple, making God number one, difficult. But the fruit's going to come. The glory will return. The healing will happen. The power will be restored. And we're going to, not in our own flesh, but by the grace of God, bring some people to Jesus Christ. See some of our broken families healed. See some marriages restored. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. And we ask that that would be reflected, not just in words, but in our hearts, our deeds. Rebuild, Lord, the temple. Take priority of our lives, Lord, where we've been focusing on the paneling of our houses, Lord, instead of upon the building of our relationship with you. Lord, help us to put the energy and the time into our relationship with you that we put into all these other things. And Father, we ask that you would shape what that looks like, that you would dictate it by your spirit, not by a law, that we'd be in such relationship with you that we'd be sensitive to the seasons where we need to do activities with our kids and and to pull back from things and to push into restoring our own physical homes and pulling away. It's not about the physical things, Lord. It's, it's, It's really about the relationship with you, God. Help restore that so all the other things are in order and in their place. Restore them so the things that make your heart beat make our hearts beat. Push away the enemy when he tries to discourage us, Lord, in our souls, when he tries to combat us from the outside and thwart our plans. We just pray for just your spirit upon this church to overflow us, to heal us, Lord, to empower us. Thank you for the good things you're already at work doing, God. Thank you for the things that you have accomplished already. Thank you for the things you've done in years past, Lord, the reason why we're standing here today. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. We ask that we wouldn't just look to back then about how you worked then, but we would be able to say right now, we give you glory, God, and this is what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, amen.